0: In week three of our buzzword series, I hope that God's been speaking to you boldly through it. Uh, Let's just do a bit of a recap. Week one, we talked about which word? Discipleship. Discipleship being, uh, I genuinely desire, I genuinely want to be a mirror image of Jesus because then everything that flows from that, as difficult as it may be to be a follower of Jesus, is a joy, it's fulfilling because I genuinely want to be like Him. Week two, we talked last week, we talked about victory. And victory is not me deciding this is what a victory looks like, me going to God and saying, God, let me be part of what you're doing. Because when we're part of what God's doing, that's when we experience true, long-lasting and eternal victory. And today, we're talking about, um, I think it's a very important word, it's the word freedom. And I think that if we can really understand what freedom truly means, then that'll transform the way that we live our lives and what we're expecting from God to do through us. So let's do that. First, I want to pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that you're a God that uh, reveals yourself to us. And God, you're so relational And as you speak today, God, let us have hearts that are open. Let us have ears that are listening what the Spirit is saying to us. God, we invite you into this place to to challenge us, to encourage us, to break us and remold us to be who you want us to be. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today we're looking at Mark chapter 5. So grab your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 5, and we, uh, we're starting at verse 21, and it's very, very common, uh, you might have heard this story a lot, uh, it's the story of Jairus. And Jairus was a, a synagogue leader who, his daughter was, being, was sick and she was unwell, she was getting close to death, and, she, and Jairus goes, I need to go and find Jesus, because if Jesus can come, he can heal my daughter and she won't die. And then so Jairus goes and he's looking for Jesus and not long he finds the crowds and he pushes through and he says, Jesus, you need to come and heal my daughter because she is sick and I know that you can make her better. And Jesus says, let's go. So Jesus heads on his way with Jairus and they're going to Jairus' house and all of a sudden it's kind of like an interruption in the story. And this is called the Mark and Sandwich. This happens quite a lot with Mark as he gets one story and he sandwiches it in another story. And whilst we're, we're narratively going on this journey with Jairus, all of a sudden something else happens. And Jesus is interrupted. And we see this in verse 25. It says, A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she would gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the blood stopped. And she could feel in her body she'd been healed of the terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that the healing power had gone out of him. So he turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him. And told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And as quickly as we we, we we get pulled into that story, just as quickly now we move on, and we're back on the road with Jairus, going to Jairus's house. How awesome is that story. And how awesome that through that we can have just that closure that we needed. How good is a story with closure this isn't a marvel film they're not going to make us wait a year to see what the ending is going to be like the closure has happened right here right now she was healed immediately turn to your person next to you and say immediately she was here i love closure i love it it's the best And whilst we're on the way to Jairus' house to see what's happening with Jairus' daughter, who died, by the way, if you keep reading that in Mark chapter 5, amazing, miraculous thing that Jesus does there. But all the while, this woman, her story's not over. You see, when we read this story in Mark chapter 5, that's a moment in time. But her story continues. Her story goes on. We're just not privy to all the details. So, when I read this, I have to ask the question, how did her story continue? You know, I I think it's pretty safe to say that it would have taken time for her to see any kind of normalcy in her life from that day onward. You see, Leviticus chapter 15 talks about what, what makes someone clean and what makes someone unclean. And we know from Levitical law that she was unclean. That was her identity. Leviticus fifteen twenty-five to 7 says, If a woman has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, or, of the blood continue, uh, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is ceremonially unclean as during her period, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. Any bed she lies on and any object she sits on during that time will be unclean, just as during her normal period. If any of you touch these things, you will be ceremonial unclean, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. For 12 years, she had this issue. For 12 years, she had this flow, which means for 12 years, she, according to Levitical law, was ceremonially unclean. That means for 12 years, she couldn't touch anybody for 12 years, she couldn't live in close confines with anybody. She was relationally desolate. She'd spent all that she had with doctors to be healed. And then not only was she not healed, but she got worse. So she was also financially desolate. This woman no longer was just the, un- like the, the one that's like, oh, she's unclean at the moment. She has her whole identity as your name is not your name anymore. You are unclean. That is your identity. So after 12 years of that, of living in this society as unclean, how long do you think it took for her to drop that reputation? 12 years of something doesn't go like that. The physical healing did, because Jesus is awesome. But we're dealing with people here. She went back into her home. How long before she was allowed into places that previously she wasn't allowed into? Because word would take time to spread, hey, this is what Jesus did in her. How long before she could have a connection with people and contact with people that previously, for 12 years, she wasn't able to have? How long until she wasn't known as that unclean lady? How long did it take for her to wade through 12 years of mental anguish of being kicked to the sideline? You know, throughout church history... (laughs) the church has been amazing at highlighting the amazing miracles that happen. When people who are blind can see, when people who are deaf can hear, when people who are lame can pick up their mat and walk, when people who are dead become alive. The church is fantastic at highlighting those stories, and we should be, because it's a testimony to the amazing power of our King and our God in heaven. Amen? That when we see those things, we can turn around and say, God, you are a powerful, amazing, and awesome God. Look what you did. We should be good at that. But here's the thing is that there's two spaces that we live in. And we talk about this space a lot this is instant miracles. These are the things that happen instantly, those things that I just mentioned. Or we see people who couldn't walk at churches and all of a sudden they get up and they can start walking and we see miraculous healings. We see people's addiction broken. We see people delivered from mental health. And we, we, we expect that that's where we all should be living. And you know what? God does work in this space. God does work in the instantaneous, the immediately. And we should celebrate God when this happens. Absolutely. But what we don't talk about a lot is that there's this whole other space over here. And while that might be instantaneous healing, this space is enduring faith. This is the, well, what if I pray for it and it doesn't happen? What if I'm expecting something from God and it doesn't come the way I thought it would? What happens when the person I was praying for doesn't get healed or continues in their mental health journey or is still broken, is still feeling pain, is still addicted? What happens when I'm praying for all these things and I'm going to God with all these things, with the genuineness of my heart, this upward gaze with God, and He doesn't work in this space? I'm left in this space of enduring faith. You know, years ago, I worked at a... (laughs) a bookshop I've talked about it before Book called Word and um, I remember when I was working there there was this guy that came in all the time like a couple of times a week and he would always buy big books and big book orders so he was kind of one of our best customers and then one day he comes in and he looked a bit sad on his face and we all said to him hey what's what's going on and he said well I'm actually a little bit distracted I'm, I'm pretty upset is that a leader in our church is sick with cancer. And this guy was a leader in the church. He was a pastor in the church. He's sick with cancer. And we're like, oh, that's, ho- that's horrible. And he says, what we need you to do is we need you to pray. Because we're a Christian bookstore, so people would ask us to pray all the time. We're like, no worries. What we'll do as well is at five o'clock, we shut the store. Come back. We'll let you in and we'll, we'll pray together as well. So five o'clock rolls around. We lock the doors. He comes knocking on the door. We let him in and we start praying. It was an amazing prayer time in the back room of Word in Bendigo. He we had finished, he left, and then we heard nothing. Radio silence for about six months. Got to the point where we'd forgotten that even happened. He comes back in about six months later, and I hadn't seen him in so long, and he's carrying this giant pile of books. And he just comes up to the counter, and he plonks these books on the counter, and I'm like, hey, that's, uh, that's a lot of books you got there and he goes, I know you guys sell books, but do you buy books? I'm like, what? And I start looking through the list, and they're the books that he would bought from us. And I said, we don't really buy books back, but can I ask you why you're selling them? And he goes, because I'm not a Christian anymore. Pastor, not a Christian anymore. Blew my mind, and I said to him, How did you get to this space? Like, what journey have you been on to get to the place where you don't even say that Jesus is your Lord anymore? And he said, you know that person we prayed for? Well, they died. And God didn't answer my prayer. So either God is all-powerful and not all-loving, or He's all-loving and not all-powerful, or maybe He's just not even there. But God didn't answer my prayer, so I'm not going to follow Him anymore. Blew my mind. Because he had this understanding in his his mind that God always operates in this space. If we call on God for healing, for deliverance, for the breaking of chains, for the knocking down of walls, that God will operate in this space. But here's the thing, is that God doesn't answer to us. God is sovereign. He might operate in this space, but he just might operate in this space of enduring faith. And here's a little secret is that most of us, for most of our lives, will find ourselves in this space of enduring faith. And you might be thinking, well, ads, that doesn't sound like freedom. That doesn't sound very free. And you know what? It doesn't. Because in John eight thirty six, Jesus says this, So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. So what does it look like to be free if that's the kind of stuff we experience? Is free an eradication from pain, from trials, from tribulation, and from sorrow? Is that what freedom truly means? You know, I've heard so many sermons about how God wants to pull you out of the storm. God wants to take you out of the valley. He doesn't want you to be in those spaces. But I haven't heard too many sermons about how God actually has something for you in the valley how God's actually teaching you something through the storm. Because God never promised, Jesus never promises that His will and His desire is to make sure you're out of it. And you know what? Sometimes it very well may be. Sometimes His desire and His will is that you're not in the valley, you're not in the storm. But it's not what He promises all the time. Psalm 23, the most famous psalm, says this in verse 4, Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. You know, a theology and an understanding of God and how God operates, it would be more fair to say that sometimes God doesn't want you to be in the valley and in the storm. But there are other times where even though you're in it, and even though there's something for you to learn, and even though it's painful, and even though there's sorrow, and even though there's trials and tribulations, that He is there with you. He is there with you. So we've redefined some of these words over the past couple of weeks. So what is freedom in a nutshell? I don't think freedom is an eradication of pain. I think freedom is not the absence of pain and trials, but the presence of God within them. The presence of God within them. Let me explain a little bit more. In John chapter 15... It's a pretty depressing chapter, actually. Jesus is talking to his disciples in the second half of the chapter, and it goes along the lines of, hey, guess what? Because you're my followers, you're going to have sorrows. You're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. The world is going to come against you because the world hates me. So guess what? If you're my follower, it's going to hate you. And not only that, if the, because of that hate, if the world persecuted me because you're my follower, the world is also going to persecute you. Jesus paints this picture of, hey, guess what? This world is pretty horrible, and because you're my follower, it's going to be a very, very, very difficult journey for you. And then in verse 16, he follows it up and he says these beautiful words. He says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Trials and sorrows will come. Jesus doesn't say hey they might come if you walk a road to get like, away from me. No, no, no. Trials and sorrows will come, and not only do they, they don't just come by happenstance, they come because we are committed to God. It's actually a mark on our lives that we are where God wants us to be, that God is actually working in our lives because we draw a line in the spiritual sand and we say, I choose this side. I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to commit my life to Him. I'm going to be a living sacrifice. And everything on this side goes, well, we need to stop that person. When you face trials and sorrows, it may very well be because... You follow Jesus. And I love how Jesus says, But peace is found in me. You have peace in me. Not circumstances, but Jesus. You know, there's nothing that you can do. No sin that you could commit, no trial that you're going through, no tribulation, no sorrow, no brokenness, no mental health issues, no physical health issues that could make God just go, You know what? Nah, I'm done with you. I'm done. You're too much work. I'm done. Nothing can separate us from God like that. You know, a couple of years ago, I experienced um, a very (laughs) rocky time in my life. And I would say now, looking back, that I was suffering from anxiety and depression. And I remember when I was experiencing this, I had three things that I would always cry out to God, and they were these. God, I am broken and every time I'd say that God would just say I'm here with you it's okay ads I'm here with you the next thing I'd say is God I'm in I'm in pain I don't think you realize how much pain I'm in and his response was I know ads and guess what I love you and I'm here and I remember I was constantly questioning my calling as a pastor, as a leader, and I'd say, God, I cannot do what you expect of me. And every time I would say that, God would draw my mind to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3. And I love it how Moses goes, when he's talking to God, and God says, hey, you know that place you just fled from, the place that wants to kill you? Well, I need you to go back there. And I need you to go and deliver my people. You're going to bring them out of Egypt. And it's going to be you, Moses, Moses is like, like, uh, hang on, God, I don't think you understand. One, I have a speech impediment. I, start, I can't talk properly. So I can't stand before Pharaoh and boldly declare anything. But two, they want to kill me. So how am I going to go back there? I don't think I have what it takes. Now, if anyone had said to you, oh, look, I just like this self-talk. I don't think I'm that good. And, you know, our first response is, no, nah, come on, you're awesome. You can do it. You've got what it takes. Come on, you've got this. But that's not what God says to Moses. When Moses says, I don't think I have what it takes, God's response is, I'll go with you. I'll be there. I'll go with you. In your sorrows, in your pain, in your trials, if you're broken, God's there. If you're in pain, He's there. And if you're doubting your calling and what God can actually do with your life, He'll go with you. What more could you want but the God of the universe to go with you? It's a reminder that freedom is not the absence of pain and trials, but the presence of God. And I love how Jesus says, but take heart, because I've overcome the world. You know, we think of overcoming the world and we think of, you know, eschatology and we think of the end times and Jesus coming with his armies to to take dominion over everything and new heaven and new earth and that's also going to happen. That's amazing and I can't wait for that to happen. But in the space here where God's talking, where Jesus is talking about sorrow and pain and the trials you'll face in this life, when he says overcoming the world, I think it looks a little bit more like this. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Forever. You know, if you're going through something right now and you're like, God, (laughs) I'm not feeling very free right now going through so much stuff, let me encourage you, one, he knows, he's right there with you in that journey, but two, there will come a day where that stuff's gone, and I can't help but read this and imagine myself sitting on God's lap and him physically wiping away all my pain, all my sorrow, my brokenness. The mental health, the physical health, everything that goes with it. All the troubles in life, gone. Because God himself says, my child, let me make it better. That's freedom. No matter what you're facing in this life, that's victory. That's the freedom. That's what God's aiming for. But until we get to that day, he's still here. Every step of the way, I'll be with you. I'll go with you. Peace is found in Jesus. That's freedom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for freedom. Help us to define it in a way that you see it, God. That it's not the fact that we'll have an easy life. It's not the fact that we'll never face trouble or pain or sorrow. But that when we do, you're there. When we're broken, you're there. When we're in pain, you're there. When we feel like we can't do what you want us to do, we can take comfort in knowing that you're going with us. All the pressure of this world just melts away in the freedom of you. And until we have that day, God, where we're sitting with you, and you wipe those tears from our eyes, and all sorrow and pain is gone forever, Let us experience the freedom of knowing that you are with us every step of the way. In your name we pray.